Amen. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 33? Psalm 33. It's a good psalm. A psalm that is good to read after there's been some clapping, I think. So I'm thankful that that's the context in which we can read Psalm 33. Man, I love the psalm so much, and I'm so glad that we can take a look together at this, uh, at this powerful psalm. I called this sermon, Ten Reasons to Praise God. See if, you can, see if you can pick out the ten reasons while we're working our way through this particular text. Ten Reasons to Praise God from Psalm 33. Let's remember as we hear this, that this is the Word of God. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with a lyre. Make melody to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright. And all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the heart of them all and observes their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by it, and by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord, for he is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him, because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, We thank you for these words from Psalm 33. We thank you for how this psalm calls on us to praise you. We pray that we might heed the call to praise you. We pray that we might receive the reasons to praise you. And we pray that we might do what this psalm says and shout for joy in you, our Lord, and that we might praise you as befits the upright. Lord, 
We pray that if anything that I say doesn't come from you, that you'd make it fall to the ground and pass away and be forgotten. But we pray that everything that is from you, that it would remain and strengthen our trust in the Lord Jesus. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I wonder, at the beginning of the sermon today, are you somebody that likes to have reasons? I've always been somebody who has appreciated reasons for things since the time I was a a little kid. My mom told me that when I was a young child, I used to say, as I, I hear is common of children, I used to say, why, all the time. And when she would give me a reason, I'd ask for another reason for that reason, and then another, and then another, and another. And she told me that I would not be satisfied until we'd kind of get to the end, and she'd say at the end of every time, well, that's just how God made it. And that was satisfying to me, and then I'd stop asking why. I think she started employing that sooner and sooner because it was a perfect way to keep me from asking why. Now, she was good, she was good at trying to answer. Here's the thing. It's always been hard for me to do something unless there are reasons to do it. And if you're like me in any sort of way, then Psalm 33 is the psalm for you because this psalm gives us a command and then gives us reasons for that command. Psalm 33 gives us a command and then gives us reasons to do the thing that is commanded. And you can see the command in the first three verses of Psalm 33. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with a lyre. Make melody to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song and play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Here are the commands. Shout for joy, give thanks to the Lord, sing to him a new song, and then that phrase, praise befits the upright. And so the command in verses 1 and 2 and 3 is to praise God. It's to praise God. That's the command given to us in the first three verses. You and I need to praise God. And then the rest of the psalm gives us reasons for that. Let me say at first that the type of praise that we're called to in Psalm 33 is one that uh, is a challenge for me, and maybe for you too, because we're told to shout. I'll tell you what, shouting is not a big part of my praise repertoire generally. Shouting uh, out loud is not a big part of my praise repertoire, but that's what we're told to do here. We're actually told twice. Loud shouts at the end, we're told at the very beginning to shout. And the type of music that's described here also helps us to understand the kind of praise that we're being encouraged to lift up to the Lord. Now, when you hear about the lyre, if you're like me, you have no idea what that is. And if you hear about the harp, you have a different idea in your head of what is described in the psalm. So a lyre is a a type of harp. A ten-stringed harp is obviously another type of harp. There are two different kinds of harps that are talked about here in Psalm 33. And when we think about a harp, if if you're like me, when you think about it, you think about the tall, stately, pristine instruments that are often played at, you know, very, very nice events or gatherings. Like if you go to a dinner and there's harp music being played, you know that this is a dignified event here, right? Because usually the harp player is playing soft, beautiful tones on the harp, and and she's usually sitting and wearing a flowing gown. And whenever I've come into a place and there's been some harp music, I'm like, well, this is a classy event here. That's not the way that a harp was at the time that this psalm was being written. When when the psalm writer would talk about a harp, it wasn't conceiving of a grandiose, dignified, stately instrument. 
the kind of instrument that a harp was like, it's more akin to a guitar or maybe even a banjo at the time that this was written. When, when David was writing many different psalms, he, you know, he's the great poet and the great psalm writer. When David was playing the harp, he would be playing it to, to accompany, you know, like foot-stomping music. The kind of music where you'd, you know, slap your knee, where people would get up and dance, where shouting would be, you know, very welcome. It would be expected to be appreciating. This is telling us to praise God in the grand tradition of Grand Funk Railroad's song, Foot Stompin' Music. The kind of praise here is, I, I, it's, it's maybe, I mean, maybe the most similar way that we could think about this kind of music, right? Harp music at this particular time, maybe the most similar thing that we could think of would be a hoedown. That's the kind of style of worship that is being described here in Psalm 33, where there's foot tapping and knee slapping and shouting and dancing. That is the kind of praise that we're called to. I'll just tell you, that's not a big part of my praise repertoire. So Psalm 33 is a little bit of a challenge for me right away at the beginning. But then we're given reasons. We're given reasons to engage in this type of praise. Ten of them. Let me, lay, let me lay them out here for you. Here's the ten reasons. Number one, the word of the Lord is upright. Number two, his work is done in faithfulness. Number three, he loves righteousness and justice. Number four, he fills the earth with steadfast love. Number five, he made the world with his word. Number six, he's more powerful than all the nations. Number seven, he's sovereign over the earth. Number eight, he protects his people. Number nine, he saves from death. And number 10, we can trust him. These are the 10 reasons given in this psalm to praise God. So let's quickly make our way through the psalm and take a look at each one of them. Because Psalm 33 not only gives us the command, but also tells us why. So first, the first reason the psalm gives us to praise God is that the word of the Lord is upright. That is said in verse 4a. You know what it means to be upright, right? It means you know, strictly honorable or honest behavior. An upright member of a community is an honest one, an honorable one, upstanding in all things, reputable, reliable. The psalm is reminding us that all of God's words are faithful and true. Everything that the Lord speaks is utterly reliable. Everything that God gives us is honest and it's honorable. You can trust every single word that God gives to us because his word is upright. God doesn't do anything in shady backroom dealings. God never says a word that you can't trust. The Lord doesn't deal in disputable things. Everything that God says can be trusted. Every word that he speaks is upright. Every word is faithful and true. There's an interesting connection that we can make here, and that is that in Revelation 19 verse 11, we're told about the return of the Lord Jesus, and Jesus is described as a warrior who is riding on a white horse. He's about to strike down the nations and rule them forever and ever. The word of God Christ Jesus, the Word made flesh, is described in a certain way in Revelation 19, verse 11. Let me read this one verse for you. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. 
The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. The word of God, Christ Jesus, is faithful and true, is upright in all things. Understanding Psalm 33 in the light of the coming of the word made flesh helps us to understand that Jesus is utterly reliable in all things. He is upright. The word of God is always upright. You can trust that his death on the cross is sufficient to pay for all of your sins. You can trust that his resurrection from the dead is enough to make you righteous forever. And because of this, we should praise the Lord. We can trust his work. That's the second reason. This is the second reason that we should praise God. Number two is that his work is done in faithfulness. Hebrew parallelism is so often used in the Psalms, and it's at play here, completing the idea of how utterly reliable God is. His words are upright. His work is faithful. Not only is his speech trustworthy, but so are his actions. These are the first two reasons to praise God. All of the work of the Lord God is constant. It's true. It's devoted. It's utterly loyal to himself, meaning that it's always good. God, you see, never acts against his nature. And that means that God will never do wrong in any of the things that he does. It doesn't matter what comes your way even if it is of extraordinary pain, and sometimes it is of extraordinary pain, God is doing right and doing something through it. God promises us that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That means that everything that comes your way is for your good somehow, even if we don't understand it, and even if we can't understand it until the time where we're with our Lord forever, it is good. Everything that God does is faithful, it is good, it is for his glory and for our good. What this means is that we can be patient when things go against us, and we can be thankful when things go well. It means that for the future we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing in creation will separate us from his love. Because all creatures are so completely in God's hand that without his will they can neither move nor be moved. All that he does, all of his actions are good and faithful, and we should praise him for that. Here's the third reason that we should praise God. He loves righteousness and justice. That's verse 5a. He loves righteousness and justice. That's the third reason that we should praise God. God loves both righteous behavior and just systems. So it, now this is an oversimplification, but sometimes in the Christian life, Christians can uh, maybe move in the direction of caring about righteousness and personal holiness, or they can move in the direction of caring about justice and corporate systemic holiness and righteousness and goodness, right? What this psalm is telling us is that God cares about both things. God loves both personal righteousness and holiness, and corporate righteousness, that means being just. God loves when a person is righteous. God loves when a society is just. God cares about you being chaste and pious and righteous, and about systems of justice, not prioritizing the desires of the politically favored 
or the wealthy or the poor. God cares about you being generous and society not trampling about the, on the poor or the weak. God cares about you confronting the sin of racism in your life and society confronting the sin of racism and enacting legislation to end it where it exists and restore what's been taken or stolen. God cares about you individually volunteering at pass. God cares corporately about the nation bringing to an end the, the crime of abortion. God cares both about righteousness and justice. He loves it. He loves it. God loves righteousness and justice. God can't be defined by any political particulars of one party or another. He's not a partisan. He loves righteousness and he loves justice. And we should praise him for that. The fourth reason that we should praise the Lord is that he fills the earth with steadfast love. That's the end of verse 5. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Now, oftentimes when I'm preaching, I don't, I don't tell you the Hebrew or the Greek word that is translated a certain way in the English. I'm going to I'm going to do that today. I'm going to tell you about the word that's translated steadfast love. I may have done this in the past. I'll probably do it in the future. And one of the reasons is that the word that's translated here, steadfast love, is used all throughout the Psalter as one of the beautiful ways to describe God. The word here in Hebrew is chesed. Chesed is the word. It's an interesting word, one that's actually pretty difficult to translate. It's oftentimes translated steadfast love. One of the translations for it might, might best be covenant loyalty. Covenant loyalty. Now, why am I telling you about all this? Well, one of the reasons is that this is used for God, again, throughout the Psalms. Again and again and again, the chesed of God is extolled, the fact that he is loyal to his covenant. And every time you see that word, steadfast love is the way that it's usually translated. I said, every time you experience that word, it should make you glad. Why? Because it's a word that reminds you that God will never let you go. It's a word that reminds you that God will never let you go. Why? Because God is always loyal. He's always faithful to the promises that he has made. He is a God who is loyal to the covenant. Now, in my life, I've made one main covenant— and that covenant is the covenant of marriage. I made a vow to my wife that she was going to be my wife no matter how good things are or how bad things are or how rich we are or how poor we are or how healthy we are or how sick we are. I made a vow that she was always going to be my wife and so she is stuck with me now. Thanks be to God. Whenever, whenever uh, a man and a woman are married... They make a covenant. They make a vow. This is a covenant that's being made, a promise that you're going to be with that person until you're separated by death, that nothing else is going to separate you. One of the interesting things that has happened in the course of our relationship is this, and maybe you can testify to this, and uh, it's that fighting is different after marriage than it was before marriage. Let me explain what what I mean. You know, verbal, you know, disagreements. We never box. Just be, I just want to be clear about that. 
Verbal disagreements. Verbal disagreements are different now that we're married than they were before we were married. And here's the reason. Whenever we fought, whenever we had an argument, whenever we had a severe disagreement, before we were married, before we had made a covenant, the question in back of both of our minds was, was this it? Is this the end? Is this the disagreement that's going to bring an end to the relationship? And if you know about our relationship, you know we broke up like five or ten times over the course of the dating relationship. And so, you know, many times it did bring things to an end. Something interesting happens after you've made the covenant to always be with that person. It means that, that when you have arguments, and the back of your mind is never, okay, is this the thing that's going to bring it to an end? No, no, no. The way that an argument happens is this. Okay, how are we going to make it through this? How are we going to get to the end of this argument? How are we going to resolve this? Because the underlying truth is that this is not going to split us up, and so how are we going to make our way through it? That's the best way that I can illustrate the way that covenants function. When you make a covenant of marriage, you are promising that that person is stuck with you, and you are promising that you will never let that person go. Understanding that, should help us appreciate the fact that God is loyal to his covenant. The fact that God loves you with a covenantal love. This means that God has made a promise, a promise to his people that he is not going to let us go. We're stuck with him. And more importantly, he's stuck with us. Because the reality is, he's faithful and true, right? He's not going to ever, ever, ever do anything that's wrong. He's not going to do anything that would, that would threaten the covenant on his end. But, you know, we do all the time. We sin all the time in what we do and what we leave undone. We sin in our thoughts and in our actions and in our deeds. And throughout all of that, God looks at you with a steadfast love that says, I promised that you were mine. And so I'm still holding on to you. And so knowing about the steadfast love of the Lord is something that should bring each one of us incredible comfort to know that God will never, ever, 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 ever let you go. He doesn't love in a fickle, earthly sort of way. He loves in a way that's steadfast, in a way that's loyal. He loves you, and he won't let you go. And you can't go to a single place in the world that's free from that steadfast love of God. Everywhere you go, God is there, and his steadfast love is there, and that means he loves you, and he will always hold on to you. And we should praise him for it. Here's the fifth reason that we should praise God. He made the world with his word. Verses 6 through 9 tell us all about that. Let me read just verses 6 and 9. Verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. And then verse 9 says, For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The quality of God's speech is different from the quality of our speech. You and I can't speak and make something be, right? Right? 
If I want to eat something, I can't speak it into existence. I have to make it out of things that God has already spoken into existence. I can't just speak and there's light, right? God speaks, God says the word, let there be light, and light exists, right? Light is made out of nothing. God says, you know, let there be birds that fly in the sky, let there be animals on the ground, and all of a sudden, just speaking that, all of these things come into existence. Out of nothing, it comes. God speaks, and everything is made. This is incredible, right? The quality of God's speech it so transcends ours. I mean, I can promise you right now, you can go home after this, and you can say, I don't know, like, make a kitten, make a kitten. And it doesn't matter how many times you say it, there's not going to be a kitten that is made as a result of your speech. We can't do that. God can. God just speaks and things come to be. It's incredible. The speech of God is creative. Wow. You and I can only create using things that God has already made. It's one of the beautiful ways that we can reflect our creator, right? When we are creative, when we, when we make things using the resources that God has already given us, it's one of the ways that we can, we can image and imitate our creator by being little sub-creators. It's a beautiful thing. It's an incredible thing that humans have the ability to do, but we can't create out of nothing by just talking. Only God can do that. It's something unique to him. And we should praise him for it. Here's the sixth reason to praise God that Psalm 33 gives to us. The sixth reason is that he's more powerful than the nations. He's more powerful than all the nations. All of the power of the world is nothing compared to that of God. And that is what verses 10 through 12 tell us. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Verse 12, as it comes to an end, reminds us again of the fact that God has done this choosing action of his people, of his people Israel, of his people in the New Testament, the church. He has made us his own. He's made a covenant with us. He won't let us go. And the the rest of these verses remind us that he is much more powerful than all, all of the nations. It's really, it's really interesting. Again, you know, parallelism is used here in these two verses. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing and frustrates the plans of the people, but the counsel of the Lord stands forever in the plans of his heart to all generations. So it doesn't matter how powerful the nation is or how powerful the people are in that nation that are plotting and planning a certain thing. The Lord can just snap his fingers and all of those plans are done away with. But there's nothing that you can do to frustrate the plans of the Lord God. When he makes a plan, it will come to be. When he promises something, it's going to take place. And while nations have risen and nations have gone away, and as you take a look at the history of the world, the might of incredible nations that looked like it was never, ever going to be confronted, man, it's, it's faded away. Don't put your hope in any nation. Put your hope in God. Because nation will rise and nation will fall. God will remain constant. And that's why it's better for nations to trust in God. Verse 12, nations are blessed when they trust in God, not when they trust in themselves. 
Because any, any nation is going to pass away. God will remain. And we should praise him for it. Here's the seventh reason that we should praise God. He's sovereign over all the earth. That's verses 13 to 17. The Lord looks down from heaven and he sees all of the children of man. When we're told in the Psalms that the Lord sits in heaven and looks down, it's a reminder that he's seated on a heavenly throne of the sort that's not going to ever be challenged by any human power because he sits above any human power. God sits enthroned in heaven. And verse 13 tells us that he looks down from heaven and he looks at all of the all of the inhabitants of the earth. And if you look just a little bit ahead with me, verses 16 and 17 says this, the king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation and by its great might, it cannot rescue. God, you see, is sovereign over all things. He sits above it. He controls it. He's the ruler of it. Because of that, you and I need to realize that all the means and machinations of man cannot save you. That all the things that you and I are tempted to trust alongside of or in place of God are things that are false hope. Nothing can save you apart from God. And the, the psalm gets specific, right? The king's not saved by his great army. A warrior's not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. What this is saying is that all of the combined might of all of the forces of the world cannot possibly save you. God can, however. How easy it is for us to lose sight of the Lord God. Like the disciple Peter, as he gets out of the boat and starts walking to the Lord Jesus and gives his attention to the waves and begins sinking, how quickly we turn our attention away from God and think that the things of the world are the things that can save us. That if we just had a little bit more we just had a little bit bigger of a bank account or a little bit larger home or a little bit better reputation, that we'd be safe, that we'd be good, that we'd be all set. I mean, one of the things that I hope that comes to mind for us living in the midst of a pandemic is this. It's incredible how, how swiftly a little virus kind of lays bare all of the systems of power of the world. I'll tell you what coronavirus can't ever do is take God off the throne. I mean, it will probably lead to different, uh, different democracies around the world, switching different people who lead them as each one proffers a different plan to try to deal with what it is that we're facing. As plan after plan seems to fall short or not do enough, man, I hope we realize that all of the plans of human beings can't save us. God can. Anything else that we might trust in alongside of or instead of God is a false hope. And let me explain why. Two reasons that follow this. First, God's protection is for his people. His eye is on you. Verse 18 tells us this. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. His eye is on you. He is aware of you. He is watching over you. And as you read that, you might think, well, that is a little frightening that God is always watching me. I think my son helps me to understand why this is a good thing. Robert is what is often described as a, as a mama's boy. My son is a mama's boy. 
What that means is, for some reason, he cares not at all for his dad. It's a huge ego punch every day. Whenever I walk away, things are fine. Whenever Aubrey walks away, crisis, right? And he will cry out, Mama, 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 and reach for her until she comes back in the room. Why? I don't know. Maybe I'm just not as good of a parent as Aubrey. That's probably the case. But he understands that when his mom is there, when his mom is watching him, that, that he's safe, that all is good in the world, that all is right in the world. And what Psalm 33 is telling us is the same sort of thing, that, that God is the sort of father, he's the sort of parent that is better than any human parent. He never has to walk out of the room to get something. He's everywhere. He's always looking out for you, and that means that you are safe. He's always protecting you. I mean, the key to all of this is found in the next reason, in verse 19, the next reason to praise God. He saves from death. That he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Here's the big reason that no earthly invention is worth trusting. None of them can save your soul from death. There's only one way. Do you know that when Jesus died and then he rose again from the dead, he defeated death? Do you know that when Jesus died and rose again from the dead, that thing which was our great enemy becomes the doorway to our greatest hope, which is seeing the face of our Savior? Do you know that only Jesus can save your soul from death? We should praise him for that. This psalm has been a great comfort to me this week. I found out this week about my grandpa Berksma, not my grandpa Bukema, who is, my grandpa Bukema is a member of this congregation. My grandpa Berksma is a member of another Christian Reformed congregation in Elmhurst. But this week we found out that he has two types of, of cancer, aggressive cancer, pancreatic cancer and brain cancer. Now, I don't, I don't know um, all of the, the details. I'm not a doctor, but apparently all of the treatments for one of those types of cancer would, would make the other type of cancer worse. And so that means that the doctors have said that nothing medically can be done. This is going to be the thing that ends his life. You know, my, my grandpa Berksma is 92. He's less than a month away from his 93rd birthday. And so, I mean, I knew cognitively that he wasn't always going to be with me. But, you know, finding out about the reality of that has hit me harder than I realized it would this week. I know that I'm going to lose my grandpa and that unless the Lord does a miraculous work, it's going to be sooner than later. You know, he was one of the big encouragers of me to pursue being a preacher. He said that he prayed my whole life that I'd be a minister of the gospel. He's one of the big reasons I'm a pastor. He's one of the big means that God used to me being right here, right now. He was one of my professors in seminary, and so to lose him will be a major loss. But I praise God.
because God saves souls from death. You know, for every one of us that lives and trusts in Jesus, death's not the final word. I believe that with every fiber of my being. I believe that. I believe that because the steadfast love of the Lord has captured my grandfather, and it's captured my heart as well, that means that death is going to be a temporary parting because God saves souls from death. If the Lord tarries, every one of us who's here is going to die. And if we die in the Lord, we're safe. Death doesn't win. Jesus does. God and God alone saves our soul from death. Verse 19, why do we praise God? He delivers our soul from death. Nothing else, no other power can or will, but God, God will hold on to you in life and in death. And if you trust in him, you will live even though you die. That's the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the resurrection and the life. And everyone that belongs to the Lord Jesus will have death defeated as well. It has been defeated at the cross and the resurrection. This is why we praise God. He saves from death. Here's the last reason. We can trust him. This is the tenth reason to praise God. Now, you might have have read this psalm and said, Pastor, this looks like nine reasons. These last three verses, they look more like a conclusion. You know what? You'd be right, but I wanted to write ten reasons to praise God, not nine reasons to praise God and a concluding paragraph of trust. That's the reason. But this is a concluding paragraph of trust here. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. You know, this whole psalm has just articulated so many reasons to praise God, and so this concluding paragraph makes perfect sense, right? Like, knowing who God is, knowing that there are so many reasons to praise him, knowing that he is utterly upright, knowing that he provides for us, knowing that he is greater than all of the nations, knowing that he is sovereign over the earth, knowing that he saves from death, should enable you to rest in him to trust in him, to acknowledge that he and he alone is pure and perfect protection. And so be glad in God. Trust in his holy name and praise him because there are so many reasons to. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you've given us today so many reasons to praise you. 
enable us to do that. Our soul waits for you, Lord. You are our help and our shield. Our heart is glad in you, Lord, because we trust in your name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you and let us shout for joy to your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.